I trust you really mean that song this morning. As I was watching the news this morning, they shared some facts that the majority of our young people today are very nervous and scared about the future. As we all can be, but if our life is all about Christ, we have nothing to be concerned about. Uh, the future might not be easy, might not be pleasant, but we know the outcome. As I share with young one fellow that was expressing his concerns about the future, I said, I don't worry about it because I've read the last chapter, the book of Revelation. We know it's all going to come out. And because uh, he was talking about the things that are coming up in the, the last days. And I said, if you know Christ your Savior, you will not have to worry about that. And we can find great hope in that. And so uh, let's keep our eyes upon him. He's the only one that we have hope in. And, and uh, these difficult times are going to be our opportunity to reflect Christ and tell Christ to others. Because people are going to be looking for hope and some answers and and I shared in the Sunday School, I'm going to share here because it was just, to me, an exciting opportunity. I had a salesman at home trying to sell me some windows for my home and, and uh, talking about religion and, and uh, God and all that kind of came up in the conversation. And, and uh, he's a, a, a former Roman Catholic. He's not there anymore, but he was raised Roman Catholic. And he shared some terrible events that took place there is, in that time frame for him. But um, he expressed that he was wondering if he's ever going to be good enough to get there. And I said, nope, you're not going to make it. Not possible. Well, then how do we get there? I'm frustrated. I'm working hard to be good. I want to be there. And I shared with him the scriptures. And probably 45 minutes there, I, I shared with him and shared some verses on eternal security and so on. He said, no one has ever taught me this. I, I, and, he came, and he said this himself. I am a believer. I believe Christ died for me. And now to know I don't have to work to wake up my... This is a tremendous load off my shoulders. He said, this is the best sales pitch where I didn't sell anything I've ever had. <laughs> you know? He said, I, God had to ordain this. I said, you're absolutely right. Because he was looking for the truth and he was able to share it with him. And, and so he just had a great sense of peace when he walked out the door knowing that his salvation is secure because of what Christ did for him on the cross. And, and that's where it's at today, folks. And we are very privileged to know the Word of God, to know the God of the Bible, and know that our life is secure in Him. And so as we look at trusting the Lord in, in uh, our conflict and our development of peace, we want peace. Christ came to die for us that we might have peace. But we know that this side of eternity, we're not going to enjoy a perfect peace. Not possible. But we can enjoy a peace with Him and among ourselves. And Christ clearly taught as a highest priority at the beginning of that is Mark 12, 30, that we all know. I shall love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, with all thy might. This is where it begins. Our love first must be focused on Him. And then it will filter down into our relationship with each other. So the more we love Him, the easier it will be to obey Him. Even in the most difficult times that we go through. And... And uh, again, I encourage you, if you didn't get the email, continue to pray for Janet. I called her one day this week to see how she's doing, and it was a rough day. Uh, she's going through John's belongings and taking care of them. She doesn't want to put it off three, four months from now. She wants to get all done now and behind her. So she was having a tough day, as you can imagine, going through that. She needs our prayers and support. Uh, send her a card this week. Let her know we're supporting her in prayer. But we have these difficult times. And yet there can be a peace in these difficult times. And, and uh, peace does come at a price. We know that. The peace that America has enjoyed has, has cost the lives of millions of individuals over the years as we fought wars to maintain our peace. But even peace in our own individual lives, does, it comes at a cost too. Christ went to the cross. And then it will cost us some too. So we, but peace with and in God is possible for us. And we want to enjoy that. And God wants to enjoy as much of that as possible this side of heaven. And it is getting more challenging every day. Mike even brought to our attention this morning in a Bible study how far we've moved away from God as a nation and as a people. Um, it's just amazing to see how quickly. And I think 
the closer we get to the rapture, the faster the pace is going to pick up. It's kind of like the proverbial snowball going downhill. starts out slow, but by the time it gets to the bottom, it's big and it's massive and it's moving at a great pace. And I think we're going to see that as we get closer to the end. But we don't need to be concerned about that. Oh, we need to be concerned about it. We don't need to worry about that. Concern is good. It keeps praying, keeps relying on Him. But God is sovereign in how He develops our peace. So I need to remind ourselves again of the sovereignty of God. What is it? God is supreme. He's unlimited. And He's totally independent of any other outside influences. We cannot. And, and, I, and even some things I've been praying about lately. I said, Lord, I don't want to be telling you what to do because I know I don't have any right to do that. But at the same time, you say, if you don't ask, you don't get. And so I'm asking for some impossible things. They look impossible to me, but I know they're not impossible to you because you said all things are possible. But he's in control of those things. And so, God, if I don't get what I'm asking for, help me to be satisfied with what you are accomplishing. Help me to see your plan. Help me to see what you're trying to accomplish. And in Psalm 86, verse 10, we read, For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Aren't you glad we don't have to pick our gods? There's only one. And we know that. And actually, he's chosen us. But and Then that's Psalm 135, verse 6 and 7. Again, there's much about his sovereignty that my little pea brain just cannot comprehend. But I, I find great comfort in knowing that God is sovereign. But Psalm 137, verse 6 through 7 says... If I do not remember you, let my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth. If I do not exalt Jerusalem... That's not the right verse. Am I in the right chapter? Nope. Wrong chapter. I was in the wrong chapter. You're reading, but I'm not. So whatever the Lord pleases, He does. In heaven and in earth. In the seas and all the deep places. He causes the vapors to ascend from the ends of the earth. He makes lightning for the rain. And He brings the wind out of His treasuries. He does what He pleases. Now there's some that perceive that all the bad stuff going on in the world is God cannot be a good God. Why wouldn't He present it? Stop these things. Present, prevent these things. Well, God didn't do it. We are doing it to ourselves. He's made it possible for it not to happen. But even in Proverbs, we look at the governments in the, in the world and our own government and we're not overwhelmingly pleased with our government the way it's going at this point, but it says the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. What does that mean? He's got his hands on every government, no matter how good or bad it is, all throughout history. God has complete control of even that. James chapter 4, verse 15. He controls our individual lives. Even though he is sovereign, we still have free will. James 4.15 says, Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. Have you ever made plans and then God threw you a detour? How did you respond to that? If you're like me, God, that's not what I planned. In fact, you've heard me say, I've laid out the plans as best I can using the best biblical principles I can. Lord, here it is. Now put your stamp of approval on it. Now I haven't literally done that, but that's basically what I was doing. And then when God says, oh, I got a better plan. No, God, that looks like a detour to me and detours aren't good. But I've come to realize that God is sovereign and I don't resist his changes and his plans and I don't question him any longer. I just simply tell him, God, I don't understand. And I know I don't have to understand. I trust your sovereignty. Another passage of Matthew 10, 29. Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? Not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will. Now about you, I, you know I enjoy the wildlife and spring's coming. And we're getting a little 
flavor of it today with the sunshine today, but I'm looking forward to spring, and I enjoy getting out there in the turkey season and, and just begin to see life begin to things get green, the little critters are out there, the young are being born. It's just a great time to be out there and enjoy it. But notice what this passage of Scripture says. Even when a little bird dies out there, God is aware of it. Now how big a God is that that is concerned about that? And, and if you want to make it even smaller, God's even concerned about when every little ant may die. That's how big a God we have. He is, if, if, if He could be that concerned about wildlife, how much more is He going to be concerned about me? Much more. I am significantly more important than animal life, and yet He is concerned and takes care of that. Other passages we don't have time to look for, but we look at Job. Job is a righteous man, and, let, and yet God let some very, very bad things happen to Job. And he never gave an answer as to why. We could turn to Ezekiel 33, 11. It says there, He does not take pleasure in evil. But at the same time, he uses the evil to accomplish his will. In fact, I was thinking of this as I was reviewing my notes this morning. How many of us, when things are going good, are more eagerly drawn to God? When do we pursue God the most? When we have negative events going on in our life. So isn't it any wonder that God allows negative events to come into our lives to move us closer to That's part of His sovereign plan. We don't find it pleasant. But if we respond to it, understanding His sovereignty and accepting it, we will find more peace in the whole process. Christ experienced conflict at Calvary. Most unfair. He was perfect. And yet, he took on the greatest abuse and unfair thing in life that could possibly be taken and that conflict was because of a conflict between me and him. And he did that that I might enjoy peace. Paul also suffered many things because of his faith. Okay, we don't have time to look at all of Paul's life, but we're familiar with it. Let's turn to 2 Timothy 1.12 and see what he says about that. Paul did get frustrated about the things that were going on, but we... We read in 2 Timothy 1.12, For this reason I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed unto him until that day. He trusted the sovereignty of God. There's two things, and all of his conflict, most of it, not all of it, but most of his conflict was between was with people. They didn't like what he was preaching. They didn't want to hear the truth. And yet he, as we'll look at it later, he, he took, made use of the opportunities. So it's our responsibility to obey. He's going to hold us accountable for our behavior. Romans 14, 12. Romans 14, 12 says, So then each of us shall give an account of himself to God. Now I don't exactly know what that's going to look like because I know I'm never going to be punished for my sin. But we do know there's going to be a time of reward before the Lord. And I think somewhere along the line, that's where we're going to feel the disappointment, the shame that I didn't do more. I was more selfish than I should have been. But there will be an account to pay. So we are responsible in fact, in a counseling session, when we have more than one individual, especially between a husband and wife, most of them come in there, fix him, fix her. I can't do that. That's not my responsibility. But I can teach you what you're supposed to do, and if you do what you're supposed to, and he does what he's supposed to, you're going to have a great relationship. You are accountable for you. 
You can pray for him to change. You can pray for her to change. But we're not here to make them change. That's not our responsibility. You're here for you. Now, since you're here together, apparently you want to work together as a team to accomplish this goal. And you can work together on that. But we are going to be responsible and are going to hold us responsible. So we hate being at odds with people. And some of us have got a great length to avoid any kind of conflict with anybody. In that case, peace can almost be a god because we will cut corners to maintain peace any way we can get it. And that is not good either. There will be our, our effort to be deepen our love for God and to get to know Him better. And that will bring the peace that we can enjoy between Him and then between us. So God is good in developing our peace. He is strong and loving and He is for us. Here in Romans, let's turn to Romans chapter 8. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where somebody's out to get you. And you wish you had a little bit of a a bodyguard to help you. But when I was about 12 years old, I had a neighbor that for some reason he didn't like me at all. And any chance he got, he'd always start fighting with me. So I would avoid him as much as I could. Well, one day, I was in my other friend's backyard, and I was waiting for him to come out. They were eating dinner, and we were going to do something after. So I was sitting by a tree, waiting for him to come out. Well, this other young man came along and jumped on me and started pounding on me. And uh, all I could do was scream for help. I wasn't a very big guy at that time. If I weighed 50 pounds, I was probably doing pretty good. But... uh, my friends heard about it, and they come barreling out the door, and they jumped all over him, and he took off. They literally chased him for 10 blocks. I never had any problem after that. I had the neighborhood on my side to defend me, which was kind of nice, because I was getting tired of it. So were they as well, as far as that goes. I had somebody for me. Now, who better is there to be on my side than God? That's what Romans 8, 31 and 39 says. What shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Verse 3, well, we could read that whole thing, but we'll just, in fact, let me read that. It's too good to pass up. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him so freely give us all all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died, and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword. Paul can identify with all those things, couldn't he? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. In all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded, I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created being shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It ain't any better now, does it? God is on our side. Even when it looks like everything's against us, God is still on our side. He has not abandoned us. And I, again, I don't understand it. I can't appreciate it. But we got brothers and sisters across the globe that are being persecuted today that still believe us, even though they're under, under heavy persecution. I don't know if we will ever experience it, but God's sovereignty does not mean He will insulate us from all the issues that will come between us. Our difficulties are to keep. In fact, we got to look at this. When we disagree with each other, That can be a good thing. Because when we disagree in any particular area, I always double check, am I still spot on with this book? 
Maybe you got a point that I've not seen and, and maybe I'm missing something and I double check myself. That's a good thing. And if we don't agree, it's okay. But our differences are to keep us challenging and examining what we believe and make sure it's based on what is biblically right. His salary does mean he will accomplish a good thing through the matter. Isaiah 43. Isaiah 43, 2 through 3. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. Nor shall the flame scorch you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I, am, I gave Egypt for your ransom, Ethiopia, and Seba in your place. Now we know what he's talking about, doesn't he? He delivered her from Egypt, but did they have any houses before they got out? They experienced part of the ten plagues. What, about three or four of them before God shielded them from it? And then the enemy chased them? They had to cross the Red Sea? Could God have somehow just kept the Egyptian army back there? Sure he could have. But what would they have missed? Can you imagine being Moses and striking that water and watching the Red, the Red Sea part and two and a half million people walking across on dry ground? I wouldn't want to miss that, would you? What an awesome sight to see. So through their conflicts with the Egyptians, they saw a hand of God that they would have not seen in any other way. It kind of blows my mind that they didn't seem to identify with God very well because of that. But it's part of our sanctification process. Sanctification is not easy. It's not meant to be easy. When we lived in Huntsville, somebody sent us in the mail. I, went, I don't know what happened to it. I kept it so for a sermon station as a reminder of me. It was in my desk for years. It was a diamond in the rough. Anybody ever seen a diamond in the rough? It looks like just a white rock, stone. Nothing pretty about it whatsoever. And the whole deal was send this back and we'll cut it for you. You know, and you ladies all have a nice, in fact, if you ladies have diamonds, you don't have a diamond in the rough on your, on your finger. You get one that's been polished. It's been cut, it's been polished, it looks gorgeous. You and I are diamonds in the rough. There's nothing pretty about us right now. And he's cutting us and he's polishing us. So when we stand before the Lord, we will be that perfect diamond. But as we all know, diamond is the toughest material known to man. I don't know how they cut it. I don't know how they polish it, but they have some way of doing it. But it doesn't come easy. We have to go through these polishing times and trust his sovereignty in the process. It's not about building my kingdom. It's about building his kingdom. He will glorify himself. 1 Peter chapter 1. <laughs> 6 and 7. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. See, the trials were not going to be insulated. They're going to be grievous. They're going to be difficult. But it will test the genuineness of our faith. When things are not going well, we have to go back and say, God, what would you have me do? That tests our faith. It becomes genuine. Again, we are addressing that somewhat in our Bible study this morning from Colossians chapter 2. There will be an outcome. And again, I just, well, like this gentleman said, I am not worthy of God saving me. I said, you're absolutely right. Glad you got that point down. None of us are. 
We're all a stubborn, stiff-necked, hard-hearted people. And why in the world does he want to spend any time and waste his time with us? I have no idea. It just shows the magnitude of his love, the magnitude of his grace, and the magnitude of his mercy. But we will need to set a good example. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Part of the reason that these young people today are struggling so as they reported on the news this morning, and it's nothing that we're surprised at, we expect it. But the reason they're struggling so is because they don't have any good role models today. Where is the world going to go to find role models on how to get through and live life? Right here in this local church and churches like it. It's certainly not in our public schools. They used to be there. In fact, what was the number one text in the, in the schools? It was the Word of God. But now we can't even take it in. There are a few exceptions to school, in some school districts where they allow it, but for the most part, I'm sorry, I'm in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 6. Now if we are afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effective for the enduring the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or if we are comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. See the example he's setting here? And our hope for you is steadfast, because we know that as you are partakers of the sufferings, so also you will partake in the consolation. Some of us, God's going to have us go through trials because there's going to be somebody else that's going to cross our path in the future and they're going to go through something similar and say, I can help you with that. I've been through those fires. I've been through that water. Verse 8, For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired even of life. What's Paul saying there? I want to go home so bad I can taste it. I don't want to be here anymore. Anybody feel that way today? I even despair. I long, but, he says, yes, we had sentence of death in ourselves. That we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. Paul realizes, not my decision when I'm going to go home. I got to trust Christ to take me home when it's time. And I will trust him. He's setting the example. Who delivered us from so great a death and, who, and does deliver us and whom we trust that he will still deliver us. You also helping together in prayer for us that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the gift granted to us to many. We have to set an example and Praise the Lord, we have some young people in our church today, and we'll see that grow as the church grows, but we need to set examples for these young people. They need to learn from the parents, from the grandparents, on how to handle the struggles in life and the conflicts that come between individuals. In fact, the third leading death among teenagers today is suicide. And the reason they so is because they don't know how to deal with the conflicts and the relationships they have. And I feel they have no other alternative. We will learn to trust him more. He is conforming us to the image of Christ. Romans 8, 28, 29. Most of us know that verse. are very, very familiar with it. Especially verse 28. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God. When we're going through a difficult time, how many of us have reminded ourselves of that? There's something good here. I don't see what it is, and sometimes we may not see what it is, but really, the good part is in verse 29. For he knew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. That's it right there. We may not see a bigger bank account, we may not see a bigger car because of the good or the trial we're going through, but if we are becoming more like Christ, that is worth more than anything. Are we handling this the way Christ would? Am I looking and reflecting more like Christ? So there's no conflict greater than we can handle. We all know what 1 Corinthians 10.13 says. There's no temptation greater 
And I, I believe this. I always thought that God graduated our trials so that, well, you're a baby Christian, so I'll give you a baby trial. What I believe that verse is saying is there's no trial on the face of the earth that you and I can't handle in Christ. So when the trial comes, we better go to Him to draw upon His grace. Paul did that. My grace is sufficient for thee. And that's when he was crying out for this, this thorn in the flesh to be removed. And I personally believe we all have a thorn in the flesh of some sort. Something that's going to keep us humble before God. But let's look at Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord. Is that where we want to keep the things that we don't understand? The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of this law. I believe there are a lot of secrets going on in our lives that we don't understand what God's doing, and it doesn't matter. We want to know. In fact, there's some say, well, if I can't know, I'm not going to cooperate. Now, we may not say it in those many words, but if we're fighting God on the challenges and the relationships and the struggles we're going through, that's what we're doing. We need to be like Job. The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Isaiah 26.3 is a, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Uh, I wanted to quote it and I can't. Um, oh, it'll come to me as soon as I get to it. I drew a blank on it. Isaiah 26.3. Yeah, there we go. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. I don't know if there's any way to, practical way for us to do that, do this, but I wonder how many hours of my 24-hour day is spent thinking about God or communicating with God. I remember when, and it's kind of stay way, still really believe it, but I remember when Brenda and I, Brenda and I started dating. All I could think of was her. You remember those days? You know, you wrote their name all over everything, you know, and, and uh, daydreaming about what we could do if we could go, to, go out on a date and all that. You remember those days? You just, all you could do is think about them. Do we do that? Are we, is our love for God so great that we can't get Him out of our mind? Is He on our mind constantly? When we wake up in the morning, is He the first one that comes to our mind? When we go to bed, is He the last one on our, on our mind? Throughout the day, do we just, are we just, our love so great that we just can't get Him off our mind? If that's not where He's at, we need to work at getting Him there. Now our sin nature makes it difficult to do because our relationship with God is a spiritual thing but it's something that we need to work at. it's our choice so while we're in the middle of a mind-boggling mind-bending mind-frustrating conflict we must constantly remind ourselves that God is somehow behind our finite vision and he's doing some good somewhere in me and all parties involved. God has marked our path for greater peace. Again, I remind you of Job. We've got several examples here. I'm not going to look them all up. but We know Job, so we're not going to look at this one. But Job focused on God. Endured a very, very difficult time. And his friends, he had conflict with his friends. I believe his friends meant well, but his friends were wrong. Look at Joseph. Again, another one familiar with. We won't turn there. Can you imagine your 11 brothers selling you into slavery? How would that make you feel for the next family reunion? 
Remember that family reunion? It wasn't planned by them, but it was planned by who? God. In his sovereignty. Joseph knew that someday his brothers and his father would bow down to him because he was in a rulership position. When did this take place? It was like 13, 20 years, I think it was 20 years later, something like that, that this actually got fulfilled. I wonder if Joseph had any doubts as my God, how am I going to become a ruler when I'm nothing but a slave? And now I'm in prison. But when that reunion came, the brothers didn't recognize Joseph. And it really looked like Joseph played with them for a little while. But it really, I believe what Joseph was doing was checking his brother's hearts out. Has there been any repentant spirit here? Has there been, is there any forgiveness for what they've done? But he forgave them. And they renewed their love for him and we see what took place out of it. There was a biblical godly resolution and reconciliation that took place. Then David called to be king. It was several years before he took that position. And the very king whom he said he loved and, and, and had him play music because the king was in distress chased him. Sought to kill him many times. David had the opportunity to take the king's life. And he didn't do it. It was so unfair, so inconvenient to be running around in the wilderness, going from cave to cave, running from the king. And David, we know, David, by God, said he was a friend of God. Then Peter denied the Lord three times. Tremendous conflict between him and his Lord. Those three opportunities that he denied the Lord, I believe, were very beneficial in developing his character with the Lord later. And we know that he was found to be faithful. In fact, he was crucified like the Lord. Only tradition says he would not be crucified exactly like the Lord. He was crucified upside down. But Peter was found faithful. And perhaps if he had not denied the Lord those three times, and we see that he wept bitterly, what was the motivation behind that weeping? The fact that Christ was being crucified and all these bad events would take place? I don't believe so. His weeping was because he denied the man that he loved most deeply. He did not stand by his side as he should have. But it strengthened him. He determined in his heart it would never happen again. Can you think back into your own Christian experience where you have made mistakes as a Christian and it troubled you so much? And in fact, I don't know about you, but it concerns me. And I don't know, and I've asked God if there's something I need to do about it, let me know. But anybody answer this question, raise your hand. But when was the last time you or I? wept because of sin that I committed before the Lord. For me, it's been a very long time. I'm not saying we should weep every time we sin, but James says we need to mourn and weep over our sinful condition, the fact that we disobeyed our Lord. We need to, to do that. When the Lord convicts us, that's, that's what's, if there's going to be a hope for America, that's what's going to bring a revival about. Is that kind of sorrow for our, sinful, our sinfulness. Well, Peter did. And it was good because we found him to be faithful. And the Lord gave him an opportunity, didn't he, later, three times, feed my sheep. Do you love me, Lord? You know I love you. Three times he let him kind of recoup to reinforce that love, that was a little bit on the sh shaky side. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians and look at Paul and his attitude in regard to the conflicts he had with individuals 
in the community and we, we talked to one about I think it was last week with Paul and Barnabas they went their separate ways but 2 Corinthians 4 7 through 18 but we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the essence of the power may be of God and not of us we are hard pressed on every side you ever feel like you're surrounded with your problems <laughs> that's what he's talking about here yet not crushed we are perplexed but not in despair persecuted but not forsaken struck down but not destroyed always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body for we who live are always delivered to the death of Jesus for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then, death is working in us, but life in you. And since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed and therefore I spoke. I also believed and therefore speak, knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you. For all things are for your sake, that grace having spread through the many may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing. Yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. When we're going through some difficult times, do we seek God's new... Was it, I forget where it is. is uh, maybe somebody can help out with it, but there's a verse in the Old Testament that, that says that our, His grace or His mercy is new every day. We need to begin every day like that because if we don't settle yesterday and we added it today, it just keeps piling up. For our light affliction, it may not seem light to us, but Paul said it's light which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceedingly and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the times which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. What is helping Paul get through this? What helps us get through the difficult times when we have conflicts between each other and the conflicts in the world? This life is very short. There is a better life coming that's going to last forever. That's what we're holding out for. And we need to think with eternity's values in view. So we must trust Him. Our trust will be directly proportional to how big we see God. How big is God to you? My, my observation in this, for the most part, the bigger the problem, the bigger God gets when we go to the Word and trust Him. God is working on me to develop a deeper peace. In order for that to happen, in Matthew 7, verse 5, I have to get the log out of my eye. Now, what does that mean? i got to examine my own life first and see where I am wrong. Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye, and then you'll see clearly and remove the speck from your brother's eye. You must evaluate first, what is my part in this conflict? Where am I sinning this? And as we looked at last week, sometimes we are, sometimes we aren't, but nevertheless we still have to examine ourselves. Am I expressing or feeling hatred? 1 John 3.15 talked about this before. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. That's strong language, isn't it? Have you and I ever hated anyone? I'm sure sometime in the past we have. God puts it in the same category as murder because no one's ever been murdered without hate. And you know that no murder is an eternal life abiding in him. That doesn't mean that no murder is going to go to heaven because our murder is going to be in heaven. <laughs> what it means is when you put your faith and trust in Christ, he no longer sees that murder. We're going to look at that uh, message in Philemon here in a few weeks on the imputation. Christ's righteousness has been imputed to me and my sin was imputed to him. So when Christ sees, in fact I shared that with this man on Monday. 
And so when girl, since you believe in the shed blood of Jesus Christ to save your sin, when he looks at you, when he looks at me, he never sees my sinful condition. And I took him back to the Old Testament. When they killed the lamb, and they put the blood over the doorpost, and the death angel came over, that blood has been put on my forehead. It's my doorpost. And my sin will never be before him. That's what we see here. Have I sinned in this matter to add to the conflict? If so, I'm responsible to go confess it before the Lord and then to that person and repent of it. And remember, the repentance process is a team effort. We have to work together to help prevent that sin from taking place. That's why God put the local church together. I don't recall any sin in the scriptures because sin always, always is with God. But most sin is going to affect somebody else. And we have to come together and we have to work as part of the forgiveness process and part of the repentance process. So we hate conflict, but God uses it to build us and to strengthen us. Again, I always look at it like an athlete. We just watched the Super Bowl last week. And amazing athletes. Some amazing plays are always, seems like there's always some amazing plays. But you know, how long have those guys been playing football? How many hours have they been practicing on a football field? How many hours does an athlete practice before they actually do the event? And the coach, how many times did they fail before they got it right? When the coach gives them a, 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 a test to go through or, or some exercise goes, does that coach know they're going to fail a few times? Absolutely. So when Christ puts us through some trials, does he know we're going to fail? Yes, but the coach also knows that athlete wants to do it right and he'll keep on doing it until he gets it right. What should we be doing as a Christian? Keep on doing it until we get it right. And what's the end result? A team that plays their, their game well. For us, we play our relationship with him well. And in our local church, we play our team effort well. That's what it's all about. And so God wants us to have peace in this whole process. And peace is possible. Are we going to have 100% peace this side of heaven? No. But many of us in this room have been saved a good long time, and I think most of us could testify. In my growth experience as a Christian, I have more peace today with God and with others than I've ever had before. But how many trials did you have to go through to get there? And if we keep trusting God, the peace will continue to increase. Now, when there's no peace, and I'm struggling with peace, I can't blame it on Him, can I? i got to point the finger. In fact, my daddy always said, be careful where you point that finger. Because there's three more pointing right back at you. <laughs> you're probably more guilty than the one that you're pointing the finger at. That's what Matthew 7 looks at, was talking about there, with the, the plank in your eye. Peace among us is possible and, and, and most enjoyable, and God expects it. But we need to, again, looking at our notes, trust the sovereignty of God. He knows what He's doing. Trust the biblical principles that are laid out clearly in Scripture. Follow the examples of other believers. Paul, Job, Joseph, all those men, they've experienced a whole lot more trials than I'll ever experience in my lifetime. And yet every one of these men expressed and demonstrated peace in their life. In fact, I didn't mention it, but Paul, when he's thrown in prison, he and Silas were singing... And that night they led the, the Philippian jailer to Christ, went to his home and led his family to Christ. They took the trial and the conflict with the community, not liking what he was preaching. He took it as an opportunity 
And as a result of grasping that opportunity, he had the privilege of leading some of the Lord. God may put us in a hospital. It's not where we want to be. We don't need this hassle. I don't need this health problem. Yeah, you do, or it wouldn't be there. But while you're in that process, look for a way to present Christ. I'm grateful that I had the opportunity to share with this man on Monday. Because as he was coming, I said, Lord, if there's a way for me to share Christ with this guy, I'd love to do it. Now, he's not local. He's from Johnstown, Pennsylvania, but he didn't know where to go to church. I said, I will do my best to see if I can locate a church that preaches the word for you to go to. What's sad is my uncle's first missionary church plant was in Johnstown, PA, but it never took. <laughs> that church never got off the ground. But I've been, I'm in contact with another pastor in the Pittsburgh area. He's kind of searching the churches out for me. He knows I'm a little bit better than I do. But what an awesome opportunity to take any kind of a situation, share Christ, and see God provide in that and, and bless in that. And so we have opportunities coming up as a church family. We've got Vacation Bible School coming up. We've got our game coming up, deer coming up, which will be here before we know it. It's only a month away. Um, in fact, there's flyers out there. You can start inviting folks. Richard's got the tickets. You got the tickets, Richard? If he hasn't, they're on my, on my desk. Um, but... Um, and if you can't come down, in fact, in regard to that, we're going to promote to the people that we're here to serve you. On the table, we'll show uh, things that we offer to them to serve them in their spiritual need. I would love to have at least a dozen people here where we can serve them. Now, it'll be a buffet, but once they get sat down, we'd like to bring the desserts to them, the drinks to them, and let them know we're here to serve you. We want to reflect Christ. So if you can be here that night, but we want to reflect Christ to the people in this community. We don't want to be in conflict with them. We want to be in a, a, a support of them. And so let us seek peace God's way and be blessed by what he has for us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the word of God. We thank you you're a God of peace. We long for that final stage of, a, of eternity when peace will be final and complete. We long for that day. But help us to enjoy the peace that you would have us to enjoy today. We know that we can enjoy it. It will not come without a price. It began with the price of our dear, your dear son, our precious Savior, dying on the cross. A conflict that developed because of my sin before him. Yet he loved me enough to do it anyways. I am so grateful for that. And I thank you, Father, for that. But help us to maintain peace among ourselves. And most of all with you. For if we don't have peace with you, we'll never have it among ourselves. May we trust your sovereignty. Trust the word. Follow the examples of those in history who have done it. And may we enjoy the peace, as much peace as we possibly can this side of heaven. It's in our Savior's name we pray. Amen.